Welcome to another exciting episode of the Chiefs Wire podcast. I'm Ed Easton Jr. On today's episode, we shine a light on Kansas City Chiefs general manager Brett Veach commemorating his amazing offseason by taking a look back at his original offseason plans as he discussed during this year's combine. Also in this week's roundtable, I'm joined by Mitch Carney and Talon Graff as we break down top 10 what-ifs in Chiefs draft history. But first, as always, we start off with Charles Goldman, the managing editor of the Chiefs Wire. Okay, Charles, I thought we'd start off by asking, are you surprised that the Chris Jones deal got done quickly after Mahomes' contract extension? Not in the slightest. First, they didn't have a lot of time to go until the deadline for franchise tag players, so things had to come together uh, quickly, if they're going to happen at all. Second, ever since last offseason, when Jones had first expressed the desire for a long-term contract extension, Brett Veach, Andy Reid, and really everyone maintained that they wanted to get Jones signed to a long-term deal. And frankly, the reports that came out that Jones and the Chiefs hadn't been talking, they were greatly exaggerated. I was told that all along, the Chiefs made their intentions clear to Jones and his camp. They wanted and intended to get Patrick Mahomes taken care of first because they're navigating a record-breaking deal that would impact the franchise beyond the next decade. Once that was out of the way, they were able to meet Jones's needs rather easily. So at the end of the day, I mean, the team viewed him as an elite player. They didn't want to see him walk out the door and go be great for another franchise because they've seen that happen before. Uh, it happened once uh, for the Chiefs with a defender by the name of Neil Smith. Maybe you've heard of him. The team really ended up regretting that decision. Obviously, he ended up becoming a Hall of Fame player. You know, he had shown that talent before leaving the Chiefs. They didn't want to see something like that happen again, where Chris Jones walks out the door and goes play and possibly plays for uh, a, a division rival and ends up just dominating. So getting him under contract, super important. I'm not surprised at all that the deal got done very quickly after the Mahomes extension. What is your assessment of the job Brett Veach has done this offseason? Brett Veach and his team navigated this offseason like champions. And hey, they are champions. The crazy thing is, I don't think we've seen it all come to fruition quite yet. We've seen him do a smashing job retaining talent. Mike Pennell, Bishop Breeland, uh, Demarcus Robinson. Then you have the Sammy Watkins restructure. Then, of course, signing the big-time players to long-term deals and doing it without hamstringing the franchise in the future. But really, what we haven't seen yet is how the free agents that he brought in are going to fit this next season. You have guys like Antonio Hamilton, Mike Remmers, Ricky Seals-Jones, and Taco Charlton. I think that we could look back a year from now and see that some of these guys actually made big contributions. When they were signed, they weren't looked at as these guys that could come in and really be more than maybe depth players. But I feel like that's like the bread and butter of this franchise. You look at some of the guys that they added you know, mid-season last year, and they maybe weren't viewed as these top-notch guys, but they really helped the team um, 
come together and win and make that push down the stretch. So I'm thinking that that maybe these guys can do the same. Maybe Mike Remmers is in the mix at left guard. Maybe Antonio Hamilton is heading up that that third or fourth cornerback spot, which is really important uh, with with teams putting four or five cornerbacks out on the field in different uh, different formations, different schemes. I'm not holding out a lot of hope for the rookies and undrafted free agents because of the COVID-19 pandemic. But I think some of these veteran additions have potential to be sneaky good moves that we're looking back on as a kicker to Brett Veach's already incredible offseason. And what was your biggest takeaway from your interview with Eric Fisher earlier this week? That he's not done achieving yet. And what, what do I mean by that? We're, we're talking about a guy who was the number one overall draft pick in 2013. Number one overall. He made the Pro Bowl for the first time in 2018. Then he became a Super Bowl champion this past season. He has achieved a lot in his career already. And remember, this is a guy who caught a lot of flack from Chiefs Kingdom because he didn't meet their expectations for what they believed a number one overall draft pick should be. Then in 2019, wham, he goes down with an injury and suddenly everyone realizes, okay, this guy is actually really, really important to what we do on offense. So, you know, when I talked to him, I I tried to find out a bit about what motivates him and what, what his motivations were moving forward. And he told me that he promised himself when he got in the league that he'd work to get better each and every year. And that if he did that, he'd be doing his job and doing it at a high level. And I can really respect that. You know, he shuts out all the outside noise, doesn't look at the statistics, doesn't look at the PFF grades, doesn't look about what people are saying about him online or on Twitter. Instead, he just goes to work and does his job. And I I think... Each year he has gotten better. So I think he, he's doing his job. He's doing it at a high level and that we're going to keep seeing him improve. And the Chiefs are going to have a decision on him in the future as it relates to his contract. But whatever they choose and whatever his future may be in Kansas City, I think they have to be really happy with the player that they chose with the number one overall draft pick in 2013 to kind of kick off this whole franchise rebuild. He was the the starting point for for Andy Reid and for this franchise to go on this run. With Washington set to change their team name, do you think that something similar could happen to the Kansas City Chiefs soon? I wrote about this earlier this week. I think fans need to prepare themselves for the reality that while not inherently racist like Washington's team nickname was, There are problems that stem from the Native American iconography associated with the Kansas City Chiefs team name. It doesn't matter where the nickname came from. It doesn't matter that the team listens and does a lot of work with Native American groups to make sure they're educating and being respectful. You have the war drum on a brand new drum deck. Your fans are in the stands doing the chop on a game-by-game basis. Warpaint is out trotting around on the field. The fans are still wearing headdresses to games. 
all of these things perpetuate negative stereotypes about Native American peoples. That's the problem. And it all stems from the team nickname. If the team wasn't named the Chiefs, they would not be having these issues, these concerns, and people questioning whether they should be named the Chiefs. At the same time, you take away these things, you take away the chop, you take away the drum deck, the Chiefs aren't going to feel like the same team. So it's a difficult decision that Kansas City will have to grapple with, and it's going to come more quickly than you think. The Chiefs play the NFC East in 2021. That means they are playing a renamed Washington team. And I think they're going to come under some pressure ahead of that game to potentially rename and rebrand the franchise. At the same time, as we saw with Washington, it took major sponsors making public threats for any meaningful change to happen. I don't think that's going to happen with the sponsors in Kansas City, but it all remains to be seen. All that I am saying is prepare yourselves for the potential that this team could be renamed in the coming years. And lastly, Charles, are there any particular stories from Chiefs Wire you would like to share? Definitely take some time to check out my interview with Chiefs left tackle Eric Fisher. There's tons of great stuff in there. I particularly love the stories that he told about the name of his 1970 Chevelle and uh, why he'll be wearing his Super Bowl ring on his middle finger. So uh, be sure to check that out. We have a absolute ton of coverage on the Chris Jones contract extension over the past two days. I also covered uh, a few new undrafted free agents in our Spotlight series, including a receiver that might not be getting enough hype because he's really different compared to what the Chiefs usually go for at the receiver position. As always, we appreciate you guys listening and visiting the website. Go Chiefs! For more information on this story and others, head over to ChiefsWire.com and we'll give you all the details you need on the Kansas City Chiefs. Coming up next, the Chiefs Wire Podcast Roundtable. Chiefs Wire Podcast, we are back once again, and it's the roundtable, and if it's the roundtable, then you know you're going to have Talon Graf, and you're going to have Mitch Carney. Guys, how's it going? Yeah, pretty good, fellas. How we doing? Doing good. All right, so before we start off with uh, today's topic, we have to look back at last week's topic, and it was the uh, the best Chiefs deals, you know, contracts, whether it was an extension or just a straight-up signing, so these were the best deals that we had to look at and just to check the uh winner now guys I, like i said these were both it was kind of close we got a lot of good votes here but the winner this time around talon graph oh look out well hey it was fun man that was a that was a fun little topic that was fun to do it was um it was tough because they've there have been a lot of, like you don't think about it, but there have been a lot of deals that the Chiefs have done brought in some big names you don't really think about it, and it's fun to go through those and really um, it's kind of hard to narrow it down just a ten. Sometimes you're to chip, sometimes you're to dip. I guess I'll <laughs> dip time. <laughs> you know, Mitch, I, I like that. You know what? You're taking it in stride. I have to <laughs> appreciate that. Very very positive outlook on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
All right, but you know what? I, I, I feel good about um, today's topic, okay, because now we're going to talk about the top 10 draft what-ifs in Chiefs history. So these are all the what could have been, what, you know, I guess in a positive or negative way. Is, is this the way we're looking at it for the what-ifs in terms of draft for the Chiefs? Um, I, I do know it's an interesting topic that definitely will be debated. And how about we start off this time with Talon's list, his top 10, and we'll go from there. So Talon, let's kick it off. Who's at number 10 in your top 10 draft what-ifs in Chiefs history? Man, we'll uh, we'll get this thing rolling. So I'm, first off, I went uh, back to 2011, where uh, we took John Baldwin, as you all know, that he was probably one of the bigger busts, if not the biggest bust in Chiefs history. Uh, played wide receiver for just a little bit. We ended up trading him away to uh, to the Niners. But uh, two picks after we took Baldwin, we took him at, with the 26th pick. At the 28th pick went Mark Ingram uh, out of uh, um who ended up with the Saints and, and all that. Well, if we would have taken Mark Ingram at 26, uh, in 2011, Thomas Jones was our leading rusher, and he was 33 years old. And then the following year was, in 2012, was the first year of Jamal Charles. So it's hard to, you know, it, it's hard to say that Jamal Charles, obviously, you know, it, it is what it is. We all know what Jamal Charles did for the Chiefs, but think about a backfield that had Mark Ingram and Jamal Charles. It's pretty much the Kamara Ingram backfield five years earlier. And I think Jamal Charles and Mark Ingram both would have benefited from having each other in the backfield. And, and for me, it's fun to think about what could have been had we not taken John Baldwin and taken Mark Ingram and then paired those two, Charles and Ingram together. I think that would have been pretty killer. And then my next one, uh, I went way back. A lot of these are kind of way back, actually. But nine, uh, I'm sorry, no, I skipped. Number nine, it's not that way back, but it's uh, 2010. Um, in the second round with the 36th pick, we took Dexter McCluster, who, who had, you know, he was productive. He had a few decent years for the Chiefs, uh, but the Chiefs could have taken Rob Gronkowski, who went the 42nd pick in the second round, so just six picks later. So had we taken Rob Gronkowski instead of Dexter McCluster, it, you know, it is what it is. We all know what, what Gronk turned into, uh, and at the time, Tony Moyaki was the tight end. And uh, that's probably, you know, why the Chiefs may not have gone after Gronk because Moyaki had kind of showed a little bit of promise. He never really lived to live that out to fruition. And he kind of fizzled out after that. Uh, but Gronk would have been obviously the next Tony Gonzalez. And to see Gronk in a Chiefs uniform, you know, would have been kind of cool. Having Kelsey now, it's, it's okay to think about Gronk not being a Chief. It all kind of worked out. Um, but for me, I think that would have been number nine. And then number eight, here's where I went way back. And this one's kind of difficult to, uh, to to say that the Chiefs took the to, took the wrong pick. They didn't necessarily take the wrong pick, um, but 1981 in the second round with the 41st pick, they took Joe Delaney, who, you know, unfortunately, uh, tragically passed away while you know as a hero trying to save kids who were drowning in it. He ended up losing his own life. Um, he he was a great pick. He would have you know he had, he was rookie of the year. He was a thousand yard rusher. He was he. he he had a lot of promise. He had a very bright feature in our Chiefs uniform, you know, and, and I'm not saying I wish they hadn't taken Joe Delaney, but looking at who they could have taken uh, was Howie Long, who went with the 48th pick just a few picks later. And Howie Long, you know, obviously not only do we get a great defensive lineman, we steal someone away from the Raiders. Um, and then there would have been a little overlap. Uh, Howie Long 
retired in 93, I believe. So there would have been a little overlap with DT, Howie Long, um, and possibly even if, you know, Neil Smith and all that, if, you know, who knows, think about that, that defensive line, that pass rush, that run stuff in defense with Long and eventually Smith and, and Thomas. It's, it's kind of fun to think about that. And then number seven in 1996, the Chiefs in the first round took Jerome Woods. And that's fine. I, I was always a big Jerome Woods fan. But in the second round, they took another safety uh, with the 58th pick and Reggie Tung, who, again, he, you know, he, he, kind of, he kind of fizzled out. He showed a little bit of promise, never really lived up to it. And then, but with the 61st pick, just three picks later, went Brian Dawkins. So it's, you think about putting in 96, that's when you know, Derek Thomas was in his prime. Neil Smith was there. Uh, they had that backfield or the secondary with James Hasty. And then you bring in a safety duo, a rookie tandem, and Jerome Woods and Brian Dawkins. That defense is, is scary. That, that's a Super Bowl winning defense, in my opinion. And obviously, Brian Dawkins went on to have a Hall of Fame career. And then <clears throat> with the sixth ranking I have, I, I kind of clumped them all together. And it's, it, it's 2012 when we took uh, Don Terry Poe. We took him in the first round. Then we took Jeff Allen in the second and we took Donald Stevenson in the third. All three of those picks were fine. Jeff Allen and Donald Stevenson had, had a few good years on the offensive line. Um, they were serviceable, and Don Terry Poe as a nose tackle was very, very productive in our 3-4 defense. But at the time, in a 3-4, we had Tyson Jackson and Glenn Dorsey, two very big busts. Had we taken the pick right after Don Terry Poe, which was Fletcher Cox, he could have slid in at one of the defensive end spots to probably replace Glenn Dorsey, who was probably the lesser productive out of Dorsey and Jackson. So instead of Poe, plug in the middle, and then you go out and get, you know, you get uh, uh, Fletcher Cox to, to seal up one of those defensive end spots. Now he's one of the best defensive tackles, one of the best defensive linemen in the game. And then in the second round, instead of Jeff Allen, you go out and get Bobby Wagner, pair him with Derek Johnson in the middle of the 3-4. And then in the third round, instead of Donald Stevenson, you get Russell Wilson. Now you have your quarterback of the future. So instead of Poe, Allen, and, and Stevenson, it would have, been, would have been pretty successful to see Fletcher Cox, Bobby Wagner, and Russell Wilson as a Chiefs draft class. That would have been pretty impressive. Um, but, you know, of course that didn't happen. But, hey, it's fun to think about. That's my first five. Um, so if you want to discuss that or if you want me to go yeah. into the next five, we can we can do whatever. Yeah, I actually have a thought now. You're talking about a guy like Howie Long as – as the possibility that you guys could have, I mean, the Chiefs could have definitely gone that route. But uh, what, do you, what do you think about Howie Long? Like, would he have been the difference in possibly winning a championship? That's, that's what I want to know in terms of those Chiefs teams back then. Do you feel like that would have still been enough? Uh, you know, that, that is a very good question. I, I don't know if he would have put the Chiefs over the edge because, you know, in the 80s, the, the Chiefs were very dismal. Um, but had they had a more productive defense in the 80s, then, you know, they probably would have been a little bit more successful in the 80s. I don't think they would have gotten to the Super Bowl. But then you had Derek Thomas, you had Neil Smith, and you had those guys with the veteran presence like Howie Long. You know, you never know. Obviously, the, the, the offense with, you know, when Joe Montana, Marcus Allen, you think about a, a team that had all those guys, and then you had Howie Long. I don't know. One game away in 93, which was uh, uh, Howie's final year, you know, you're one game, one game away from the Super Bowl, you lose to the Bills. Does Howie Long make that difference? You know, I think the argument is there that he does. You know, I like that a lot when you really do think about it. It's, that's basically a Hail Mary team when you, um, when you look at them. These are a bunch of guys that pretty much at the end of their careers, but they're still all-time greats. And you have them give them one big, you know, last shot during that 93 season. 
that would have been interesting. I, I actually kind of like that, just to, to, to think about the possibilities, maybe how we long does stop the, uh, all those points and everything from the Bills during that game. You never know. It's a, there's a definitely a lot of options there. But um, how about this? Let's get to your top five, and let's see where we're at. Yeah, sounds good, man. So number five uh, in 2002, <laughs> in my opinion, the biggest draft bust in Chiefs history, Ryan Sims, defensive tackle, was taken with the sixth overall pick. Never really did anything for the Chiefs. He was just – he fizzled from the very get-go, never lived up to it. Now, it, the <laughs> – the actual pick, Ed Reed, he didn't go until late in the second round, so a lot of teams passed on Ed Reed. But knowing what we know now, Ed Reed is definitely worth the, the sixth overall pick. So in 2002, had, it, had, had people actually realized the guy that Ed Reed would have been or you know, maybe the Chiefs knew something that everybody else didn't, they, they go out and, and, and air quote reach on Ed Reed with the sixth overall pick. Now all of a sudden you don't have Ryan Sims as, as a bust. Now you have one of the best safeties um, in the league and in 2002 that was kind of the shift from when the Chiefs were known as a defensive team in the 90s now all of a sudden we have you know we got Priest Holmes, Trent Green, Tony Gonzalez is, is kind of hitting his stride we have that solid offensive line so the offense is great but the defense is where we were lacking now all of a sudden you bring in Ed Reed who is this ultimate game changer at safety you know, who knows what what those early 2000s teams would have done with Ed Reed and you know who who who, who is essentially the best ball hawking safety in the, in the game uh, in history. In my opinion, I think he's, he's probably one of the biggest playmakers ever. So that dynamic just alone, even though those defenses were not that good, Ed Reed changes a lot of stuff for that defense. And then number four um, in 1990 with the 13th overall pick, the chiefs took Percy snow. Yeah, exactly. I don't think anybody really remembers who Percy snow was. He, he didn't last very long. Uh, instead, Emmett Smith went the, with the 17th overall pick to Dallas. Had the Chiefs taken Emmett Smith in 1990, we got a different ball game. Now, obviously, uh, back in those in 1989, Christian Okoye was coming off a huge year. Um, you know, 1,400 yards. He was an All-Pro. Um, you know, it's kind of it's kind of tough to think about. You know, do you really go out and draft a, a first-round r- running back when you just had Christian Okoye have a huge year? Well, then, you know, you, you know. You never really – when you draft guys, you always – it's always BPA in my opinion. Obviously, team need. The need wasn't really there. But Emmett Smith is such a good prospect, even in college at Florida. It's hard to imagine that Emmett Smith and Christian Okoye, you know, you know obviously Okoye, you know, kind of petered out after a while. But Emmett Smith and Christian Okoye as a pairing, that's, that's kind of scary to think about. And technically, Okoye was a fullback. So you got Okoye, you know, getting the hard poundage and, and getting those short, tough yards. And then he's clearing the way. For Emmett Smith, you know, I, I think I think that would have been pretty cool to see. And then, and obviously, but had that happened, I don't think Marcus Allen or any of that shows up. But you never know. And then number three in 1991, again, there's a big gap between these two picks. But knowing what we know now, uh, with the 21st overall pick in the first round, Harvey Williams of running back was taken by the Chiefs. Again, uh, fizzled out, didn't do anything. Probably should have gone out and drafted Brett Favre, who went uh, in the second round with pick 33. Obviously, not a lot of people knew about Brett Favre playing at Southern Miss, who was an option team, running team. And, um, you know, he ended up going to Atlanta, and then he went on to Green Bay, and now he's a Hall of Famer. <clears throat> but Brett Favre, had he gone to the Chiefs, that's pretty fun to think about. You know, Montana was not a Chief yet, uh, and had Brett Favre been a Chief in 1991, 
Joe Montana probably didn't show up. So, again, you, know, you kind of got to weigh your options here. What would you rather have? Would you rather have Joe Montana or would you rather have a really young Brett Favre? You know, pick your poison there. And then these two, I re- this, is, this is really fun to think about because it's the possibility of these two these two players actually playing together. So I'm going to kind of lump two and one together. So my number two in 1985, one pick apart. So the 15th overall pick, the Chiefs took Ethan Horton, who was a tight end. He played a couple of two, three years with the Chiefs, went on to have one Pro Bowl season with the Raiders. Um, But one pick later, Jerry Rice was taken by the 49ers. So had the Chiefs taken Jerry Rice in 1985, he would have paired pretty well with my number one pick, who I think everybody knows who that would have been, 1983 Dan Marino, when uh, the Chiefs took Todd Blackledge with the seventh overall pick, and 20 picks later, the Dolphins landed Dan Marino. You think about Dan Marino taken by the Chiefs in 1983, and then two years later, the possibility of Jerry Rice being on that same team. So instead of Montana to Rice, you got Marino to Rice, and those – all of a sudden the fate of the chiefs in the eighties is completely and utterly different. So I think that'd be, you know, you think about Mahomes being the savior of the chiefs. Now think about if Marino had gotten here in, in 83 and then you pair him with Jerry Rice. That's, that's, that's pretty, pretty scary thought. That is very scary. When you think about it, Marino and Jerry Rice could have possibly been teammates. If, if everything went the plan for the chiefs and we all had a crystal ball and was able to, uh, to see this coming, but man, that's a, that's a very good list talent. And um, one of the picks that you actually brought up, the Emmett Smith situation. Mm-hmm. Now I, I'm not too sold on Emmett Smith, probably making the biggest difference only because I, this is my opinion right here. When it comes to mm-hmm. Emmett Smith, I think he's a great running back, but I think he benefited from having a great offensive line as well in Dallas. So when you talk about Kansas City, what was the offensive line like back then? You know, things like that have to be, um, I guess, put into, you know, some type of thought. And, and then with Okoye, in terms of his running style, maybe it fit the offense and Emmitt Smith didn't fit the offense. You know, these, I guess, are all the, um, the question marks that go into it, right? Yeah, very true. Now, I'm not saying the Chiefs had, had the offensive line that the Cowboys had. That The Cowboys' offensive line was stellar. But, you know, the, the, the offensive line of the Chiefs still had Tim Grunhard, uh, Dave Zott, who were both rookies, actually, in 1990. They were in the same draft class as, as Emmett Smith. And then so you had all those three kind of growing together. And then you throw in John Alt, who was at his prime during that year. And then, you know, a couple other guys. Um, you know, it, Barry Ward, who was, you know, he was decent. He never had, you know, a stellar career. But he was a 1,000-yard rusher in 1990 for the Chiefs. So you, you take out Barry Ward, you add in Emmett Smith, and, and you put in Smith and Okoye, and then you have Stephon Page and, and that offensive line with Grunhardt and Zott and Alt. And, 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 you know, I think, I think it would have been pr- pretty good. Okay, that's fair. Like I said, a, a very good list. Mitch, how do you make your comeback on this one? What is your, uh, your list? So I, I have one that's actually just from a couple of years ago. I have the 2018 draft, and I have the Chiefs tra- uh, getting Jamie Bates instead of Breland Speaks. Um, I thought that one should be put in there because whenever you look at it, like the Chiefs didn't have any safety help that year. They had Eric Berry, Ron Parker, Eric Murray, and um, Daniel Sorensen. And, you know, Eric Berry didn't play the whole season. And Breland Speaks was just a backup to – Tom Bahali and Justin Houston and D Ford, right? Is Tom Bahali on that team? Either way, he was a backup. He wasn't playing very much. Um, I think drafting Jamie Bates uh, eight picks later, he would have been a starter on the team. He would have been playing a, you know, a bigger contribution on the team. And he possibly could have been that 
that playmaker in the secondary that could have gotten the Chiefs to the Super Bowl. Um, you know, you know, whenever they made it to the AFC Championship and lost the Patriots, I don't know if he would have done it by himself, but you know, it definitely would have allowed the Chiefs secondary to do some different things. Uh, you know, maybe moving Daniel Sorensen back up and not having him cover because the Chiefs secondary could just not cover anybody that year. So I got them at number ten. At number nine, I had the Chiefs taking Juju at number pick 62 instead of instead of a uh, Casignon at 59. Um, I don't think Tano's bad. Um, I just think he's just like a role. He's a solid, solid special teams player, special team slash um, backup player that can come in and play some great downs. But uh, when you look at the Chiefs' offense now, you want to give Chiefs playmakers, especially at the wide receiver positions. Um, you know, you want to give Patrick Mahomes all the weapons he can have, and Juju would have been a great weapon. And possibly if they would have had Juju, they wouldn't have had to pay Sammy Watkins, and they could use that money somewhere else. And I had have this bad contract on them right now. They could have Juju at a cheap price and still have one of the greatest offenses in the NFL. So I have that at number nine. and number eight, I have kind of the same thing, except instead of taking Kareem Hunt at pick 86, I have us taking Kenny Galladay at 96. Of course, at the time, Kareem Hunt seemed like seemed like a really good pick because he was the NFL's rushing leader. But of course, you have all the off the field issues and all that stuff. And then Kenny Galladay, he uh, led the NFL touchdowns this year, and kind of like what I just said for Juju, giving Mahomes those weapons on the outside, you know, just makes the offense so much better. Especially since Andy Reid has shown that he can just put whatever running back into the system, and they're going to have success. It doesn't matter if he has Kareem Hunt's talents or if it's just Damian Wilson who they just kind of found off the street and put him out there and still have success. So I just think giving Mahomes the best receivers he can on the outside would give uh, the Chiefs the best chance to win. So I think taking Kenny Galladay, um, who went 10 picks later, would have been the right decision with 2020 hindsight. And then in 2011, I have the same one as Talent over here. I have uh, Bobby Wagner over Jeff Allen. That's just a simple – you know, a simple thing that the Chiefs have done instead with Bobby Wagner just being one of the best linebackers in the NFL over Jeff Allen, who's just been a mediocre offensive lineman. At number six, I have the Chiefs taking Jimmy Graham over Tony Moyaki in 2010. Now, this is the same draft where Talon said the Chiefs could have gotten Bob Gronkowski. Um, and although I do think that probably would would have worked better, um, if the Chiefs were going to go for the tight end in the same round, um, you go with Jimmy Graham, who just went two picks later than Tony Moyaki. Um, Jimmy, Graham, Jimmy Graham may not be as talented as Travis Kelsey or even Rob Gronkowski, but he's been really consistent throughout his whole NFL career. And possibly with Andy Reid coming to Kansas City three years later, he could have been a really successful tight end moving forward. So that is my top, my bottom five. Okay, Mitch, I like it. A lot of it is uh, more recent times, um, at, you know, in comparison to Towns' list. The, the ones that really stuck out to me, um, obviously the, the last one you just said, well, you know, Grokowski and um, Talon, I brought that up as well. But in Jimmy Graham, you felt like would have been the better tight end option over no, no, Rob Gronkowski? I don't think he would have been better than Rob Gronkowski. I was just looking at the draft and Tony Moyaki went two picks before Jimmy Graham. So if you're looking at tight ends and say the Chiefs wanted to target a tight end in the third round, they should have went with Jimmy Graham, who Jimmy Graham, who went two picks later. Okay, no, I, I see what you're saying. Like in terms of where they were in the draft, no, I get that. 
But uh, now Rob the young been the better pick, but I was just considering they were both tight ends who went right next to each other. Right. No, I understand that. That makes sense. Um, but I do have to also take a look at the wide receiver situation. You were talking about Juju Smith as possibly being a guy that they should have gotten that would have been a better option and having a guy like Sammy Watkins, you said overpaying for him. The thing that I think about when you talk about a guy like Juju Smith, was his personality going to be able to fit with this Chiefs team? You know, and that's, that's I guess, something that you feel like he's dealing with with the Steelers right now and the issues he had with Antonio Brown. And, and Imadri, Antonio Brown's a whole other situation. I get that. But, um, you know, I, I guess that's the reason I'm thinking that in terms of personality, how would they blend in? Because, yeah, I brought that up with Kareem Hunt and uh, his off-the-field issues. It could have been possibly the same thing if they would have went with, uh, with Juju as well. So I, I just kind of look at it that way as well. I mean, I wouldn't really consider their off-the-field issues the same. Um, I think Juju would have meshed well with the team just knowing how Mahomes – Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey are, they're all, you know, they're all really close. I think Juju would have meshed right in with that. Um, I mean, of course, everybody wants the ball, but, you know, I think when he goes in, you got Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, and then you also got Andy Reid, who's Andy Reid, who's one of the best offensive minds in the NFL. He could have made it work because he's made it work so far. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, I'm picking Juju over Tano. Tano is just a, you know, a backup player who comes in, you know, he's okay. Uh, you know, he has some good snaps. He's made some highlights. But you know, if you just look at Juju and the Chiefs team is all about offense, you want to give Mahomes all the weapons he can. Okay. Uh, definitely, I hear you on that one. And let's get to your top five. So at number five, I have taking Joe Thune over Kavari Russell. Um, this is a really easy one. Kavari Russell being by one snap at the Chiefs. I don't even think he played a preseason game. Um, so then, you know, Joe is one of the better offensive linemen in the NFL. You know, he's just really consistent, and that's all you want in an offensive lineman. Um, at number four, I have taking Camion Hayward over Jonathan Baldwin. Um, Cameron Hayward is just, you know, he's really consistent defensive lineman. I really like consistency whenever I draft because I understand you're not always going to get that star breakout player, but if you can get a consistent player that's going to play for 10 years in the NFL, I think you definitely won, and you know Hayward is one of those players that you know I think would been would have been successful at the Chiefs. He would have been a player that we could have kept around for a long time and possibly helped you know make us make a playoff runs in the upcoming seasons. And Jonathan Baldwin was just one of the biggest busts in Chiefs history. There's no doubt about that. At number three, I have the uh, Brett Favre over Harvey Williams. Same thing as Talon said. You know, Brett Favre is one of the greatest talents in the NFL. Who knows what would have happened if we had him? Uh, You know, we maybe could have, you know, made the 90s and early 2000s a little better for Chiefs fans uh, because I know those there were some pretty rough years during those seasons. And number two, um, I have Russell Wilson over Donald Stephenson, Stephenson, because, you know, I don't think Russell Wilson would have made the Chiefs a playoff team right away, you know, mostly because, you know, those Chiefs teams are pretty bad between the 2011 and 2013 years. I don't think Todd Haley or uh, Romeo Cornell would have, you know, made Russell Wilson the type of quarterback he is. But uh, let's just say the Chiefs still got Andy Reid in 2013. You know how fun it would be to have Russell Wilson and Andy Reid working together on the same team. That's like, that's like almost what we have with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid right now. You know, Russell Wilson, you know, working in the play action with, 
Andy Reid and, you know, with some of the weapons they have. And you still have Jamal Charles having some of his best seasons yet. Uh, and between those years, he had three 1,000-yard seasons. So with him and Russell Wilson together, who knows what the Chiefs could have done. Then at number one, I have the biggest Chiefs fast draft bust in, uh, in history with taking Todd Blackledge over Jim Kelly or Dan Marino. Both of those picks would have been way better, and you know maybe the Chiefs would have had some success and maybe possibly won a Super Bowl. Hey, I definitely like that, and I like how you guys basically were on the same page with Dan Marino not being uh, not being the selection at quarterback, and obviously that's the perfect number one. I, I was thinking along the same lines. If you talk about like in terms of making a, a change and trying to make a um, trying to get a player that was going to be more of an impact. Um, do, you, do you guys remember, since we're talking about that draft, why they chose to pass on Marino? Does anybody remember that? Yeah, at the time, uh, Marino had a, some off-the-field issues, and his uh, senior year was not nearly as productive. He had he'd thrown a lot more interceptions in the senior year, so a lot of people were scared to take him, not really sure how his future had looked just because of his regression from his junior to senior year. Um, so, yeah, guys, like, I mean, when you look at the – um, the draft class, the quarterback draft class, so many guys, you know, not just Blackledge, but like uh, Eason for the Patriots went before um, Marino, Elway, obviously Elway went number one overall. And then, um, yeah, Jim Kelly, all these all these guys went before Marino just because people thought Marino wasn't going to be that good. I mean, it just kind of boiled down to people were scared to take him with off-field issues. Um, he had got, I think he had gotten into trouble with like – a law thing like he had gotten in trouble uh, with the police but I think it, I, I don't remember exactly but um yeah just just a lot of concerns with off the field and in, in, in terms of production and in, in his uh, senior year in college okay so that's definitely um uh, it's definitely a lot to go into it but uh you, sometimes you just gotta look past the uh, off the field stuff and you know we were just talking about that with Kareem Hunt and and all his situations sometimes you gotta go for the talent you know, it's tough, but uh, this is what the scouts do. They scout the talent. I was a little surprised that um, neither one of you guys mentioned this draft, and um, I'm only bringing it up because it is, you know, they're always bringing this draft up. And you know which one I'm talking about by now, the 2000 draft, okay? So the Chiefs took players like Sylvester Morris uh, was the first-round pick, William Barty, Greg Wesley, Frank Moreau, Dante Hall was a pro bowler, obviously, uh, Pat Dennis, uh, Darnell Alford and uh, Desmond Kitchings. Those are the picks for the uh, Chiefs during the draft. You guys know the, the name I'm about to say in terms of who every team basically passed a couple of times. And uh, that's Mr. Tom Brady. And I bring up Tom Brady simply because going into that 2000 season, which would end up being Elvis Gerback's last season with the Chiefs, he was a pro bowler, but um. You know, I, I look at him like, obviously, they weren't going to re-sign um, Gerback. He's he been around for a long time. He, I think he played one more year after that with the Ravens. Uh, Warren Moon was the was also on the team, at, you know, at that time. Why why not consider a quarterback at all in that draft? I, I want you guys to be the GM of the, uh, the Chiefs back then and just give an explanation as to why not go quarterback in the 2000 draft. Uh, Mitch, I want you to go on this one. Well... Um, I don't, you know, talking about Tom Brady, I don't think anybody could have predicted Tom Brady's, you know, career, you know, being a six-time Super Bowl champion. 
I don't think anybody could have predicted that. Um, you know, I'm looking at the draft right now, and a quarterback didn't go until the 18th pick. So my best guesses are sure, this wasn't a lot of good quarterbacks coming out. Um, I understand you probably they probably could have got one. Uh, you know, in a couple of you know in this second or third round too. But you know, I guess my guessing is is they just didn't fall in love with the quarterback. I mean, quarterbacks are one of the hardest positions to find in the NFL. So. I, I've, I've always been in the uh, boat that says if you're not in love with the quarterback, don't draft him. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I kind of got to agree with Mitch. I just don't think there was a lot known about Tom Brady. And like, he, and like Mitch said perfectly, not, nobody could have predicted that. Um, and with the, you know, looking at the state of the team of the Chiefs at that time, yeah, you mentioned Elvis Gerback. You know, I, I just don't think the Chiefs, at that time with Carl Peterson and, and, and uh, Gunther Cunningham as the lead man, you know, Cunningham was a defensive guy. He didn't really, you know, maybe he just didn't have a feel for, for scouting quarterbacks, even though he, he spent all of his time game planning to stop them. So that, you know, maybe, maybe he should have known quarterbacks a little bit better. Um, but at the time the chiefs were a hardcore rushing team, you know, they had Tony Richardson, Campbell Andrews, um, Guys like that, they they weren't known as 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 an aerial team, so maybe they just didn't put a lot of stock into having like a, you know you know top tier quarterback. They always kind of figured they could bring in a free agent or maybe make a trade. Um, they put more stock into the running game, their offensive line, and their defense. I think that's kind of what the main thought process was there: is putting playmakers around and then finding finding a, a plug and play quarterback. I just think that's the way they did business back then. And they actually did end up bringing in a free agent quarterback the next season. That's whenever Trent Green came to Kansas City. And I uh, had a rough start, but he ended up, you know, doing pretty good and having a 13-3 and season with the Chiefs. So, I mean, he was no Tom Brady, but, you know, the next year we ended up getting a quarterback that we could rely on for five or six seasons. That's definitely very true. And like I said, I just wanted to get that out of the way because whenever people talk about the, uh, you know, oh, what ifs and things of that nature, they always bring up the 2000 draft. They always bring up Tom Brady. So I just had to throw it out there and let you guys have at it. But, uh I enjoyed both lists. I thought it was good. And uh, we're going to see what the public thinks this week again and uh, make sure everyone votes in the poll on ChiefsWire.com. And uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, Mitch, Talon, until next time, guys. Hey, thanks, fellas. That was fun. Thank you. Yeah, listen, it's certainly a priority for us, and I had mentioned that. I mean, sometimes these things take some time to work through. Um, you know, uh, as you mentioned, the franchise tag is something that, that we have the ability to use. We certainly like to see if we can work something out with him, and, and I think the tandem of uh, Chris Jones and Frank Clark is something that uh, any team would want, and we're going to work hard to see if we can get that done. Yeah, no, they have been ongoing, and we actually have a meeting schedule up here in the next couple of days. Um, you know, we had dialogue last off season. Um, we had dialogue prior to the season's uh, starting. Chris did a great job of, of blocking all that um, and just really attacking the season. He handled it like a true pro. Uh, now we have the opportunity, once this uh, cycle comes back around, to uh, pick up where those conversations left off, and hopefully we can make some headway and get something done. 
Yeah, I think it's it's meaningful. Listen, all dialogue is good dialogue, and I think just being up front where where you know where we are as an organization, and you know what our expectations are in regards to what um, Chris and his camp what their expectations are. Um, you know, the last thing you want is for something to go awry because there just wasn't enough communication. So um, you can't have enough dialogue. And, and like I said, they've been very open and honest with us, and, and we feel we've been um, we ha have handled this situation in a very similar fashion. So. Um, again, we're looking forward to sitting down uh, with his agents this week and, and continuing uh, to pick up uh, on the on the dialogue and where it left off. In balancing the cap, are you paying Chris Jones? Uh, you have two guys like that on your Yeah, there's, listen, I, again, going back to my personnel staff, I also have a great uh, cap staff and, and Brant Tillis and Chris Shea do a tremendous job. They're, it's challenging, um, but it doesn't mean it's impossible. And, and I think just working through, um, you know, the breakdowns and the dispersals and, and, and looking forward a lot of this you know we have to wait with the new CBA and see how that looks but um, it's always a challenge but um, you know I think when you have guys as talented as, as Chris and these other players I mean it's you know you're gonna you're gonna turn over uh, every scenario and, and just see what exactly can be done so it's a challenge but it's not impossible I would say that it would be you know a priority for us to, to make that happen and you know um, what transpires in the next few weeks or months is to be determined, but our, our certain, certainly our goal and our intent is to keep him in Kansas City. Yeah, I mean, we have uh, a lot of time, and, and that's a good thing uh, in regards to, to Pat, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll, I'm, you know, almost certain continued dialogue with him like we've had with Chris and these other guys. And, and um, as we kind of work through the new landscape of the NFL and the new CBA, we'll um, certainly get together and, and hopefully we can get something done. But, I mean, that's uh, another big priority. He's the uh, best football player I've ever seen. Yeah. And the good thing is he still is. So that's a, that's a, that's a positive thing. Special kid, special player. And, and to have him work with, with Coach Reed is has been a blessing for, for our organization and, and, and the Chiefs' kingdom. So hopefully we have a, more, a lot more Super Bowls to win with him, and, and we're excited to get after the next one. No, no, because, uh, you know, I had said this before. It's, you know, I think when you've been around football your entire life and you've seen, you know, sometimes you take for granted how great these players are that you see. Uh, and when this kid comes in and, and makes these talented football players look average, you know you're seeing something that, the league maybe they're not ready for so um you know he's just been from the first day he's been in our building um he was different in regards to his whole approach and his talent level and it was just a matter of you know letting him play a full season so none of that was a surprise to us and, and again we look forward to more of these seasons and hopefully more of these championships yeah i think just overall i just think the, the mobility in that position is something that uh every front office and organization you know, um, they're, they're striving for And obviously Lamar Jackson had a great season in, in, in Baltimore, but um, defenses continue to get more athletic and faster and you need quarterbacks that can um, make plays um, outside of the pocket and, and, you know, tuck the ball and, and move the chain. So I think anytime, you know, you have a, a prospect that has uh, mobility and, and the ability to extend plays is something that is, is going to be attractive to all teams. Yeah, no, it's a good. It's a good question, and I think sometimes it just takes a. You know, you're going to have to find. Um, you know, and really where a team is, right? Because of, you talk about a, a tag and trade when you're when you're giving up draft commodity and money. I mean, you really have to feel. You know, the, the team has to be a position where it makes sense for them, and then you have to be a position that you feel that this would take you over 
you know, that hump. And, you know, I, again, I go back to um, the work we did in our personnel staff that, you know, we were convinced that, you know, we were moving to a 4-3 and that um, we had to get a 4-3 end. And it was just taking in all the information you had, where we were picking the draft and what would be available and what we needed to make this defense go. Um, so I think they're hard because you have to find just the exact scenarios that have to play out in that order. And it was a unique set up last year and we were certainly happy that we were able to get that done and obviously um, winning the Super Bowl I think speaks for itself. Yeah, Sammy's a guy that, um, you know, like, like Chris, that we're going to have dialogue with this week and, you know, there's certainly different options and, and different um, scenarios that could play out with him. He's a guy that, that we do want back. Um, again, these are good problems to have because when you win a Super Bowl you obviously have a lot of good players and they make a lot of money. but. Um, but, you know, Sammy's a guy that, uh, as you mentioned, I mean, he's been critical to our, our playoff success. And, and um, you know, just having dialogue, again, like we're going to meet with the Katz brothers. We'll meet with Tori Dandy, Sammy's agent. We have good relationships with these guys. And we'll sit down and we'll talk about the landscape of where we are and what would make sense to us and, and how we can make this work. And we'll get feedback from them in regards to what they're looking for. And hopefully we can bridge a gap and, and make something happen and, and keep as many of these good players on our team as possible. couple more, everybody. couple more. It, yeah, no, listen, we're, we've been blessed and fortunate to have uh, two, two um, veteran guys that just did a, a tremendous job. Chad got hurt, and then Matt came, came out of retirement and played really good football for us, and, and that Minnesota game that we won in the middle of the season was, was a big deal. Um, you know, we actually have two meetings scheduled uh, with both the representatives this week as well, and, and, you know, we'll see how that goes. But, you know, I anticipate, um, you know, one of those guys being back, and we'll have to work through the, the dialogue with both their agents and, and see what makes sense for them and us. Well, I think Severus Ward and, and, you know, the things he's able to do over the last two years, I think, speaks for himself. I think he's shown that he's a starter in this league. And, and Rashad, because of some of the injuries we had this past season, he's a guy that has stepped up and, and played um, an important role in, in our season last year. And we expect more out of him. He has some nickel and some outside versatility. We're excited with both those guys, but we're gonna the volume it will be low if we're not able to retain all these corners. So we'll certainly be um, trying to address that as we move into the offseason here. I th yeah, I think he, you know, I think he shows he's a guy that I think when you talk about starters, you know, we do so much. Um, Spags does such a great job of, of mixing up what he wants to do day in and day out. And we, and we do so much nickel and dime stuff um, to, to say he's a starter. I mean, maybe a different take from somebody else. But just knowing what Steve does and how he implements so many defensive backs. I mean, these guys are going to play 60, 70, 80 percent anyway. So, I mean, those guys are basically starters. All right, thank you. Thanks, Brad. Yep, thanks. For everyone at Chiefs Wire, we'd like to thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Make sure to follow us on social media at Chiefs Wire for more information. I'm Ed Easton Jr. Check us out next time.